Amen. And good morning. Welcome to church. Hey, the ushers just wanted me to mention, if you have a white, big uh, passenger van with a wedding band sign on it, uh, your lights are on. So great promo, but um, your lights are on out there. So just letting you know, we don't want you to get out of here and not be able to leave. Um, Well, good morning and welcome to church. It is great to see you guys. And uh, I know normally I'm not up here on the first Sunday, but Pastor Dave asked me if I would speak. And it is my pleasure to dive into these great verses together as we go through these verses for life. You know, um, as I kind of thought about this verse this morning, I kind of thought about one of my least favorite things in the world, which is if you've ever been lost, you know, driven, gotten yourself lost. I know it doesn't happen as often anymore in our day and age with all our cell phones and all our GPS and Siri and our cars and our watches and everything buzzing you and letting you know which way you can go. But back in the day, you used to be able to get lost pretty easy, you know, especially before you had uh, MapQuest and you'd print out the directions. And I can remember there was this one time in my life, like the worst time, probably the only time I felt like I was going to die, um, was where me and some of my friends got lost on a surf trip we were taking. At least we thought we were lost. We we're kind of along the right way. But um, a couple of guys in our early 20s and I decided we we're going to take this trip down to Mexico, um, down in Baja, and um, go out to this, this island that they had down there. We we're going to hitch a ride from um, from the Baja Peninsula to this little island and go surfing for a week. And so we started looking up directions. You know, we got our old Thomas guide. It was this old book, in case you don't know, that had all the directions everywhere. And we realized we only have the U.S. Thomas guide. It didn't work for Mexico. So instantly we're in a bad spot. And my one friend, he goes, hey, I've been there before. I got it. Don't worry. And so, you know, without any directions written down, with any, like, anything like that, we headed down to Tijuana, rented a car. We rented a car there because we knew we were going to trash it. And so if it was a Mexican car, we could trash it and then just hand it back over to them and cross the border and be gone. And so we rented this car and we headed down. And as soon as we started getting going, my one buddy, he, he starts like falling asleep and, and he's, our, he's our, quote, navigator, you know, and he's falling asleep, getting sleepy. And then at a certain point, about an hour in, he goes, look, I am not going to make it. I'm not feeling good. I have been up for the last three days studying for final exams in college and, and I am done. And so he's like, I'm going to go to sleep. But here's the deal. Just drive south, and when you get about, like, I don't know, eight or nine hours down, about right around this area, wake me up. We're like, that's it? Like, no turns, no nothing. He goes, just go south. And so we started driving. And with gas and all that kind of stops and stuff, we, we kind of estimated to about 10 hours down, we woke him up. And I kid you not, the moment we woke him up, he's been sleeping for 10 hours straight. We wake up this guy, this young college guy, his hair's all frazzled, he's a surfer, he wakes up, he's like, oh, what? You know, exactly what you'd expect out of a kid this age. And, and he's looking around and he goes, hey, uh, the next exit, you're going to go right and just take that towards, through the desert towards the coast. And we're like, really? The next exit? We've been, you've been asleep for 10 hours and the exact time that we wake you up is the exact exit? Something's fishy. And I kid you not, he just goes, yeah, just go down that road, I've seen it, we've done this before, that's the way. And so he goes, I'm going back to sleep. And he goes, you're going to drive an hour, hour and a half or so, and then you'll get to the town. And we were kind of low on gas. We were just enough to make it to where we needed to go, and we figured we'd fill up there. And we had blown out, like almost blown out one of the tires. We had this big, like, golf ball-sized goose egg on one of the tires. And so we're driving kind of cautiously, and we head down. He goes back to sleep, and we head down this road. And it is one of the worst roads I've ever driven on in my life. There's potholes, and not only that, there's, it's like ominous. It was like this eerie, we're driving through a desert, it's like 100 plus degrees, and all there are are abandoned cars on the side of the road. <laughs> and our navigator is asleep in the back, he's out, and me and my buddy are looking at all these cars, and we eventually pass this one car that was a burned down car with... Um, 
the only time I've ever seen dead bodies has always been in Mexico, um, with a, a skeletal hand hanging over the wheel and literally someone had just died and they left them there on the side of the road. They had burned to death in this crash and we're driving by and going, oh my gosh, I hope this is the right way. Like, and we drive and we drive and we drive. We get an hour and we're like, okay, gas is kind of getting lower. We get to an hour and a half and we're not there and all we see ahead of us is desert. And we look at the gas tank and we're like, this is bad news. So we wake up our buddy and we wake him up again and he, look, he wakes up and I kid you not, he looks around and he goes, huh, I've never been, I don't recognize where we are. I don't, I don't understand, like, we were sitting there, and my other buddy was, he was in the military, he was pretty crazy, he was like, what? And he's yelling, and these guys are arguing, and now, all of a sudden, we realize we're in the middle of the desert in Mexico, no cell, like, we had the flip phone Nokias back in the day, no cell service, no nothing, like, we are there, and, and the last thing we passed, the last sign of life was a dead guy hanging over his steering wheel, like, we are in trouble. And we're driving and we're starting to freak out. Like, you know, finally my buddy's awake. He's like as awake as it gets because he slept for 12 hours. And, he's, and we're driving and driving and driving. And we finally got to this one town. And we go, and you know when you're, when you're lost, if you've ever been lost, you'll take directions from anybody, right? There's no like barometer or standard you have for who's going to give you directions. Whoever knows something, you're going to go. And we go into this town, and I remember this one guy, he's like, doesn't speak any English. He's trying to give us directions to the town we're wanting to go in, and eventually he just points to a road. And so we get on another road, and we drive and drive, and we finally hit where we were going. But as we drove the whole time, we were just like, oh, this is the worst feeling. And I can still remember that to this day. It's like being lost, being alone, being separated, not having the right direction. It's, it's the worst. It really is one of the worst feelings. And I bring that up because in some sense, that's the type of mentality Jesus is addressing this morning as he begins to talk to his disciples. They are at this stage at the very end of his ministry and his life, as a matter of fact, They're at this stage where they don't really, and they haven't really been paying attention to the fact that he has constantly been telling them that he is going to die, that he is headed to a cross. And in John chapter 14, if you guys want to grab your Bibles and open up to John chapter 14, I'll kind of keep giving you some background as you're flipping there. But as we come to John chapter 14, he is finally kind of getting them to realize that he is no longer going to be with them, at least in the way he was before. In John chapter 13, he said, I'm going away, and where I go, you can't come. And Peter heard that, and he goes, no, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll follow you even unto death. And Jesus goes, look, before the morning comes, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. They didn't really understand what, what he was talking about. And so if you're one of these disciples, these people who have chosen to kind of hitch your life to Jesus, imagine, put yourself in their shoes. These young guys, they're like, we left everything. We left our home, left our families. We left our our business, some of them are fishermen, and here we are, now we're going after you, Jesus, and now all of a sudden you're saying you're leaving us, and now you're telling us you're going away, and not only that, but Peter, kind of our leader, the biggest knucklehead of the bunch that we all follow, you're telling us he's going to deny you three times before the morning? They're going to begin to get a little worried, feel a little bit lost, feel a little bit like, well, what in the world are we supposed to do? We're going to be in verse 6, but chapter 14, let me give you a little bit more background. Jesus comes to them, and he, he begins chapter 14 by saying, let not your heart be troubled. He goes, I know instantly that you're going to start feeling lost, alone, like you're on some desert road. And you're going to start to wonder, which way do we go? 
If you've been lost, you know the feeling. Like, what do I do? What's my direction? What's my way? Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. You can trust me. And then he goes on and he he begins to tell them because he kind of wants to reveal what's going on behind the scenes. He says says this as, as he goes on. In my father's house are many mansions or rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. So essentially he's saying, look, I'm going away to my father. I'm going away to where my father is. And he says, in my father's house are many mansions. Or that's kind of the old King James way of saying, the real translation is, there are many rooms under my father's house. So the idea is, and he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place that you guys would call home. A place where you are connected to and one with your father. A place of peace, a place of rest, a place that you were designed ultimately that you long for and you desire to go to. That's where I'm going to prepare for you, but that's not going to come unless I go away. And you got to imagine the scene because all the disciples are probably hearing this and they're like, yeah, uh-huh, okay, we get it. And then there's one guy in the back, Thomas. And in verse five, Thomas is like, what the heck are you talking about, man? Like, I have no idea what in the world you are saying. I love Thomas. He gets kind of a bad rap, right? We call him Doubting Thomas. It's like, how do you like to be known by kind of your, your flaws? It's like, I don't know, the flaky Frank or Lying Larry or Drunk Daryl. It's like, you don't want to be known by your flaws. Yet somehow Thomas gets tagged with this thing as though it's negative. Like, the fact that he can slow down. Like, I hate, and I've always been like this. I hate when I'm, like, sitting with everyone and they're all just acting like they understand everything and they know what, what's going on. And you're in, in your own head, you're going, I have no idea, but I'd be embarrassed and I'd be ashamed. If everybody else knows what's going on, I don't want to, I don't want to look like the dumb one. And Thomas is like, I don't care. I have no idea, clue, or, or, or even understanding as to what you're saying, Jesus, in verse 5. How are we supposed to know where you're going? How are we supposed to know the way? You haven't even explained this. What are you talking about, man? Or I love it, the Pigeon Bible, which is like the Hawaiian slang Bible, one of my favorite. I was reading it in this, and he said, they put it the best way. He goes, hey, boss, us guys, we don't know where you're going. <laughs> and that's kind of like the sense there. He's like, dude, we have no idea what you're talking about. We don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. Break it down for us. And at this point, as we get into our verse in verse 6 here, Jesus really kind of, he focuses them in. I think he realizes it's his last moment to kind of connect with them. These chapters 14 through 17, by the way, of John are what we call the upper room discourse. It's his final connection the night he was leaving, the final teachings before he went on to give his life for them on the cross. And here Jesus realizing that goes, okay, look, let me just, let me just lay it out for you. And in verse 6, he says this, our verse for life. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? Of course, realizing how short the time now is that he has with these guys, Jesus gets as direct as possible with Thomas. As Thomas is sitting there, and Thomas is wondering, like, what, what are you talking about? Thomas, boys, disciples, I know that while I've been here, I've been your leader your rabbi, your teacher, your source of of connection with God the Father. And I've been everything to you guys and for you guys, but now I'm leaving. And panic is going to set in. If not this moment, it will set in later once I've left. 
suddenly you're going to have that feeling of feeling lost, wondering which way do I go? What path do I take? What, what's the right road? What's true? What's not true? How do I get there? And you're thinking, wait a minute. I don't know the way you're going. I don't know how to get home with God, to be at peace with God, to have that, that place of rest. Like, I don't know that. But Thomas, when you come to me and you're asking, what do I do? How do I act? What do I do? What's the direction in life? Let me clear it all up for you. I was your teacher, your leader, your connection with God, and I still am. And he starts by saying, I am the way, right? There's kind of three, you'll notice as we talk about it, there's three distinct things he says, the way, the truth, and the life. Yet all three of these things, they were written in such a way in the Greek that they were meant to purvey or or portray one idea. It's like the way, the way of truth, and the way of life. They all kind of three flow together into one. And, and as he starts here by saying the way, you can understand that's a term for direction, right? It's a term for, we use it, right? Can you point me the right way? Or I've lost my way. Or if you're an Aerosmith fan, walk this way, right? You're like, it's, it, we use it all the time. It's very common language, and it was for them too. And for these guys, the first thing they would feel as they lose their leader is like, whoa, what direction do I go in life? Like, What do I literally do? How do I act? What is the way, Jesus? How are we supposed to continue to do this if you're gone? Think about them for a moment. Do we go back to our Jewish roots? Like you're leaving us? So do we go back to the Jewish religious system? Do we go back to the law and the sacrifices and those things that you left us? You seem to be guiding us from and giving us something better, but do we go back to those? Or, or maybe even better, they might think, well, is there more things? Is there a different way that we need to take? Are there, are there other mystical truths out there that we need to get into? They might have also been thinking, hey, do we go into politics and stuff? Like you were supposed to, we thought you would be the, you would be the guy that, 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 that stood in, or sat on the throne and politically kind of took over the rule of the world. We thought you being the Messiah meant that you were going to make Israel great again, if you would. That we were coming back as a people, we were going to be elevated. So do we, kind of, do we pick up where you left off? Do we go into politics and do we bring your kingdom to this earth? Is that our focus? Or there's probably Peter in the back. And we know he was probably thinking this because this is what he ended up doing. Do I just go back to fishing? <laughs> Oh, hang out with my family, go back to my hometown, get into fishing, do whatever makes me happy. You know, there's a million different ways in life. And these guys would have had a, a million different paths they could have now taken, seeing that Jesus was now gone from their midst. But Jesus, in the way he says this, is, look, I am still your way. You thought you were losing your way, but look, everything I've done, Everything I've brought to you, everything I've presented to you and walked with you and shown you, that was my way. And the way of Jesus, ultimately, it was simplified. And he said this over in, um, in, in chapter 13 when he was talking to his disciples. He goes, look, I'm going to give you one commandment. Of all the commandments and things I tell you to do, the one commandment that sums it all up is this. Love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. And it was constant for Jesus. His, he, he so boiled down all the ways and all the truths and all the things that, that, that he was teaching to this. Look, I want you to love one another. 
Love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew chapter 22, when he was asked, what's the summary of all that God wants from us and all the commandments and all the teachings of the prophets? He goes, love God, love your neighbor. To his disciples as he's leaving, look, love one another. Look, the way of Jesus was this way where, yes, he was... He was amazing and wondrous in all the works and and glorious miracles he did. But when it came down to the simple truths of how he walked every day, it was like, you were to love. But how do we get there? How do we do that? Well, this is interesting. Because while that was the number one thing, the way that he showed people, the commandment he wanted them to live, the most common commandment that he gave people, I think proves the way or shows you the way to get there. You know what the most common thing Jesus told people or commanded people to do was? Follow me. Each and every one of these disciples, they heard it. Matthew, the tax collector, while he was sitting there in the tax collector seat, follow me. Peter, as he was there in the boat, you want to be a fisher of men? Follow me. Andrew and John and James, all these guys, they heard Jesus say, follow me. And not only that, but all throughout his ministry, if you go through his teachings, you'll see this constantly pop up. As he's commanding people to do things, as he's teaching the way you should do things, at the end of so many of them, he ends with this, follow me. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. On and on it goes. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus goes, you want to know how to find my way? You want to know how to do all the things I want you to do in your lives? You want to know how to love each other? Well, just keep following me. Even to the point where after his death, you might think, well, that was while he was here on earth. No, after his death, when he had resurrected, and just a few weeks after this, when Peter had denied him three times there that final night, And he had resurrected and he met with them on the seashore in Galilee. You remember that scene where Peter jumps out of the boat, runs to Jesus, swims to Jesus, cuts on the shore and it just falls down before him and Jesus restores him three times. He tells him, do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you, Lord. Well, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Tend my sheep. And then he says, follow me. Even after death, he's like, this is my call. This is what I want you to do. Keep following me. Keep following the way that I laid out before you. It's what makes the gospel so important. As, as, as a collection of books in this, in this Bible, the gospel stand out in a unique way because we come to this and we go, well, how do we follow him? We weren't there. We didn't live 2,000 years ago. I didn't see Jesus on the seashore. Well, how do I know what he was like and what his way looks like? Well, you turn to this book. And you turn to the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and suddenly you see the presentation of a a man who is unlike any other, of a way that's unlike any other in this world. Matthew, as he presents Jesus as the, the Savior, the Messiah to the Jews. Mark, as he lays him out as the Son of Man, written to kind of a fast paced, moving audience as he's the servant of all. Luke, as he, as he carefully collected different stories and unique accounts and testimonies of people who saw Jesus, Luke, who was a doctor in their day and age, put it all together in such a way that you go, whoa, this Jesus, he's different. And John, John who walked with Jesus, who saw Jesus transfigured, who saw Jesus after he resurrected from the dead, puts, to, puts him in such a light where he calls him the son of God often, this high deity 
living and walking amongst us. And what you find is when you come to these gospels, all of a sudden you get the account, there's harmony there in a beautiful way, but it's not like harmony in the sense of like a junior high boy when they just got in trouble with all their friends and they're trying to make up a story, right? So they all get together and they all come up with the exact same story. It's almost like the entire way you know someone's lying to you is everyone else has the exact same story and saw the exact same thing. You know, that's not how it works with, with real people. That's one of the ways in law enforcement you know people are making up lies. If you ever watch cops, you'll know right away. If everybody's got the same story, it's probably a lie. And you come to these gospel truths, and yes, on one hand, you find the same general story, but you find it from all these three different perspectives, because, or four different perspectives. They were written by people who were there and saw it from unique perspectives, in ways that they were like, this is different. Jesus' way is unlike any other in this world. And they lay it all out here. And here you have this, this ultimate revelation of a Savior, of God moving in our midst where you're like, okay, his way is different. And you can come back to it. And you can read it. And you can see all of a sudden now there is someone who is unlike any other. There is a way forward. There is direction. It's what kind of naturally flows and leads you into his second point here. I am the way, and I am the truth, right? The truth, is, um, the truth is interesting for them because they're here and they're losing their teacher. They're losing the guy who was constantly giving them lessons and telling them parables and stories. He was, he was revealing things in the way what they really should be believing about life. See, the truth, these guys were losing, and in the New Testament, Jesus is, he's often referred to as teacher. As a fact, 90 of the times he's, he's given a title in the New Testament, or at least he's referred to with a title, 60 of those times he's referred to as rabbi or teacher. It was his most common title that he was given or he took upon himself because he was known for his teaching, for the way he revealed truth. And in some sense, these guys are looking at it and they're going, well, like, what do I believe? Like... Uh, do we have a new religious system? Do I have like, how? you were always teaching us before and you were always giving us truth, but now what do I believe in this world? Well, Jesus is going, look, you guys didn't graduate yet. <laughs> There's no degree for you because you don't just lose the truth. You don't just move on from me and take on a new truth. He goes, I am still every bit of the truth that you need for your life. See, Jesus when he says, I'm the truth, it's like he would go on in the very next verse in, in John chapter 14, verse 7, to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It was his way of saying, look, look, look. And he said it in the beginning in verse 1 of, of chapter 14. Look, if you could trust me, if you trust God. He's like, look, if you've seen me, you've seen God. You know what God is like. You know what the uh, the, the creator is like in the midst of your reality and your lives. Uh, and the truth is, we often worry and kind of wonder, well, what's the right way? What should I believe? What would God do? What does God want me to do? What's right and what's wrong in this world? Right? And listen, Jesus goes, look, I know you want answers. I know you want clear directions, but I'm going to give you something better than that you can come straight to the source. And when you come to me, when you study me, when you know me, when you put your trust and your faith in me, when you hold on to me, you're holding on to the true reality of what God is. 
what God looks like in your midst. What, well, as Paul says over in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, he said, God at various times and various ways spoke in times past to our fathers by the prophets. God used to speak by these prophets and tell them what he wanted, what he was like, what he was doing. But Paul says in Hebrews chapter 1, but he has in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he's appointed heir of all things and by whom he made the world. It's like he's going, look, you want to know what God wants. You want to know what God thinks. You want to know what the reality is behind this world. All of truth, it's all bundled up there and in Jesus. All that God wanted to reveal in this world, all that God wanted to, to lay out for you, the way he wants you to act, the way he wants you to behave, the way he wants you to do, the way he wants you to think about him, about life, the way you can understand what God is like, it's there in Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you don't lose that when I, when I go on to my Father. Because that I've modeled, I've taught. And then in chapter 14, as you get into verses 15 and 16, he says, you're going to have a helper who's going to come. And he's going to help you to reveal truth and abide in you. Because I'm going to give you my spirit who's going to continue to draw you back to me. To continue to bring you back to the truth. And I know when we think about truth, at least for me, I think, gosh, in this day and age, like the time we live in, truth is so convoluted. Right? You want to know the way things really are? Turn on the TV, watch the news. You're certainly not going to find it there. Right? With false stories and, 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 and people taking polls and studies and statistics and making them say what they want. And then another group of people taking polls and studies and statistics to make it say this or that or the other. I mean, you've got politicians bad-mouthing each other, telling you they're going to save the world. They're going to make it right. And then you go on and you go, well, I'll go on social media and I'll just connect with everyone. Well, there you've got the like Russian spam bots and you've got all the like false news there too. And then you, you combine that with nowadays we've got AI, right? AI is like, it's great. I love it. It's awesome. But at the same time, it's like, it's totally not real. It's artificial intelligence, computer generated. I mean, there are images out there that are completely AI, completely doctored. And there are songs that even hit the radio and in, in, in top charts that are not even real songs anymore. It's like, what is real? The other day I was reading an article about, about an AI influencer on social media. That's right. This AI, not even real, a robot, has its own Instagram account that has 2.6 million followers and doesn't produce anything that's real. It's all pretend videos, pretend photos, pretend everything, doctored by AI. And it stands to make $10 million this year. That's crazy. And that's the world we live in. And that's okay if you use AI to do your homework or whatever. But like in this world, it's like, what is real? What is true? Everybody's got this angle on, on what I should believe. Everybody's got this angle on what should be my focus in life and, and what I should stand for and do in life. But in reality, I think for each and every one of us, it's like, oh man, don't you want a teacher? Don't you want someone who doesn't have their own private, personal, power-filled interests in mind? Well, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, and you will find truth. Come to me, and you will find a purity. I reveal God as he is. Now, you might think in your head, kind of naturally, at least for me, well, what makes Jesus so much better than everyone else in all the other ways? I mean, doesn't everyone kind of purport to have the truth? 
Isn't that what religion is at its core, right? Allah and and Buddha and all these people, aren't they all claiming to have truth? So why does Jesus say, look, I'm the truth and they're not? Like, aren't we all in this, it's like streams of rivers going, or streams of, streams going to the same river, or we're all in different cars going to the same location. You know, that kind of just general coexist universalist idea, right? I thought everybody's the same, and isn't it kind of arrogant to say your truth is greater than every other truth? Well, yeah, it is. Jesus draws a line in the sand here, and he says, look, there are a lot of other people out there, and they are claiming to have the truth, And they might even be bumping into things that are true. But with me, you get the complete truth. The absolute truth about who God is. So what makes him different? Why? Well, Jesus is the only one. If you go back through his life and story, if you're really interested in the truth, you'll do this. He'll go through the life of Jesus. See, most people who ask that question, by the way, side pause, most people who ask that question are coming from kind of this arrogant place. Well, what makes your truth better than all? Aren't all religions the same? If that's what you think, then you think you already know the truth. You think you have this truth that you can judge every other religion by and say that they're all the same. So you're not really interested in truth at all. You're interested in just supporting your own idea. But for anyone who's truly, truly interested in in really knowing truth in life, well, if you come to the life of Jesus and you go through Jesus' life, you're going to find... That he gave one thing and one thing alone when other people came to him and said, hey, look, how do we know that you're from God? How would he know that what you're saying is true? When When the Jews came to him and said that, they said, show us a sign. Prove it to us that everything you're saying and doing is right. They came to Jesus and asked for a sign. He goes, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But nonetheless, I'll give you one. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the sun of the whale, or the belly of a whale, so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the middle of the earth. He goes, look, you want to know what's different about me? You want to know what I'll, I'll prove to you that I'm true, that I'm really revealing God, that everything I've taught and everything I've said, that my way is the right way? You want to know? I'm willing to put my life on the line. I will die. And Paul picks this up over in Romans chapter 1, where he says he was, he was killed, but the Spirit rose him back to life, proving everything. He goes, you want to know that I am everything? You want to know that my testimony is true? Do you want to know that I am the truth? Well, I will give my life, and I will do what no person has ever done before. I will give you a sign unlike any other. I will go three days and three nights into death, and I will rise from the dead. If anyone else can do that, let me know. Because no one else, until this day, no one else has risen from the dead like he has, conquering death and stayed alive. Jesus is different. Jesus is unique. And Jesus would say to any of us who want to know truth in life, want to know what God's like, want to know the way, want to know any of this, he would say, come to me. Come to me and I will give you that. But you know what? I'll also put my life on the line for you. I will die. I will enter into death. And I will rise victoriously. And that will prove that what I say is true. Kind of tying into that. He says, I am the life. I'm not only the way, I'm not only the truth, but I'm the life. I love that. You got to think of these guys again as we kind of take each one of these. Think, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They've given up their lives to follow him because there was something different and special about Jesus. They left their families, they left their businesses, they left their hometowns, they left everything to kind of go be homeless people traveling around camping out with Jesus on the road. 
wasn't a glorious or glamorous life. It wasn't like they got to go stay in palaces and suites and you know, ride around in limousines or anything special like that. They gave up everything to follow this guy who was very simple. Yet they saw something in him, something that was different, something that, 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 that they would call a connection with God. As Nicodemus said this, right, over in, in John chapter 3, he looked at Jesus after studying him and he goes, no one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. It was like Jesus had this divine spark, something about him that was connected to God unlike anyone else. And all of these disciples, they're like, man, we came to you because now with you, we're like connected with God. Uh, you always talked about abundant life and, and here it is, it's supposed to be with you, yet you're telling us you're going away. I mean, I thought you were the life. All those times we were with you where you healed people, all those times we were with you where you did miracles, you walked on water, you calmed the raging seas, you, you cleansed the lepers, you, you even brought, brought young children back from the dead. So what does it mean now that you're gone? Are those just supposed to be distant memories kind of in the past, like life was... Was, was great then, but, but now Jesus is gone. We don't have it anymore. Well, Jesus looks at him and he goes, no, don't misunderstand this. I am still the life. But if you're gone, where does the life go? What are we doing? And this is, this is such a kind of vital question to ask, right? Like, if Jesus is gone, doesn't that mean the life is gone? These guys are kind of going to wonder with that question, but I want you to kind of go back to the beginning as he, as he kind of set us up here. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a home. Right? His idea was, look, a lot of times I think people have taught this and go, Jesus left for 2,000 years and built some home. Like he's like Chip Gaines who went off to the sky to, you know, he got some good deal on Zillow and he's been doing a fixer-upper for you guys for 2,000 years. He's just working on the plumbing and then he'll come back and get us all, right? And we'll bring us up there and, you know, your little Magnolia home is ready, okay? It's not what he was saying. He's being metaphorical here. He's saying, look, I have to leave, I have to go, and he would just the very next day, as, as this story continues on, be betrayed, be handed over to the Romans, and be crucified. Be lifted up on that cross, enter into death, and then resurrected from the dead. He goes, I have to go do that, that you might be able to find home. My way of preparing a place for you was through a cross, through death. If you haven't realized it, the ultimate enemy here on earth is not Satan. I know a lot of us kind of think of that, like, oh, God and Satan, UFC 1000, here it comes, like, they're going to fight, and Jesus took them out. No, no, the ultimate enemy is not Satan, it's death. It's the end all of all of our lives. The wages of our sins, Paul says, are death. Death waits for every single person here on earth. Every single one of us will feel the tug of death's strings throughout our lives, With every bit of anxiety, every bit of worry, every bit of pain, every bit of suffering, every bit of hurt, every bit of sorrow, every bit of sin in our lives, there's this reminder that life is not as it should be. There's something more that we want. And Jesus looks at us and he says, look, I didn't just go to one day give you life. I went to give you life right now. I entered into death. I paved a new way forward. I entered into the greatest enemy that you guys will ever face, and I rose victoriously three days later over that enemy. 
that you might have everlasting life. That word he uses here for life is the, it's the word Zoe. It's not just like bios would be the word they used for like turn off the lights kind of death. But the word Jesus has used all throughout his ministry, whenever he was talking about a connection with God, was this word Zoe. And Jesus would say, look, I have come to bring you life, and life abundant. To the woman at the well, he said, if you drink from this water, talking about the water of the world that she kept drinking from, you will thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I have to give, you will have life in you springing up everlasting. It was this type of life that he said, look, I am here to give you greater life than anyone could ever give you, and I'm going on to that cross that you might have that. Paul kind of reflects on this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. He said, the first Adam came and gave us a life-giving spirit. I'm sorry, the the first Adam came, I said that wrong, um, and he gave us, uh, he became a living being. The second Adam came, Jesus to give us a life-giving spirit. He goes, I am going to that cross. I am going to prepare a way home for you that I might send you my spirit and that every one of you who come after me, who follow after me, might have life. Might have this life-giving spirit in your life that you might be alive and changed from the inside, not just one day in heaven when you get your golden ticket like Willy Wonka and you get to go to the chocolate factory one day. He goes, no, right now, where you're at, I'm giving you my spirit. As you go on through chapter 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, he talks all about it. I have a spirit that's going to bring life into your midst in reality and he will abide with you and dwell in you. And Jesus says, look, I know that there are a lot of ways. I know that we're all searching for truth. And I know that you wonder where your connection with God is going. But man, I'm still here. I'm still the way. I'm still the truth. And I'm still the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And you can search every system You can go through every podcast and philosophy and your Oprah and Joe Rogan and everything and you might find people that bump into the truth and you might find things that might be true but you will never find it all in one place until you come to Jesus. The only one who gave his life for you. The only one who went on to enter into death on our behalf to overcome and conquer our greatest enemy and you might think, well, I don't know. I think think if we're all just good people, Right? And there might be people who think like this, right? If we're all just good people and we all do good things and I, I don't know, maybe I, I give a little bit to a charity or I help an old lady across the street and like maybe you're walking this tightrope and as long as I end up on God's side a little bit, as long as I live a little better than everyone else or a little nicer than I think I should be, then, then one day I'm going to make it home. Wrong. Jesus goes, I am the only life. I am the only way to life. If you want to know the truth behind that, no matter how good you are, no matter how awesome you are, no matter how many little puppies you adopt and people you save and and countries you crusade for and, and causes you champion, no matter how good and great you are, which, by the way, I wouldn't even argue that those are bad things. God would tell you, do great things as well. No matter how good you are, here's the real question you have to ask yourself. At the end of the day, is death coming for me? At the end of the day, No matter how good you are, will I die? If you answer yes to that, which every single one of us will, 
And you've got a real problem, don't you? Because God says the wages of sin are death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus is the only one who said, you know what, I will take your sin. I will take your mistakes. I will take your problems. No matter how good or bad or awesome or horrible you are, wherever you're at on the scale, I will take everything that you've done that's against God and I will take it on myself. And I will enter into death on your behalf. And not only that, but I will rise from the dead for you. And I now offer you life, life unlike any other, life you can never have on your own. That's me. That's Jesus. And when we come to him, I know there's times where we can, we can lose it a little bit. We can come to church. We can go through life. We can be like, man, I don't know. I got burned by people at church. Oh, my friend, they, they were supposed to be nicer to me, but they weren't, and they talked bad about me. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do this. And we, come, and we kind of look at things as though the truth in the way in the life was through a pastor, was through you know, my interpretation, was through a church, was through a nation, was through a, a family, a friend, or whatever. And it's like, no, 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 no. This all pulls everything back. It eliminates everything from our lives and says, look, everything is found in and through Jesus. There is no one else, no person, no institution, no thing in this world that has ever promised and could promise what he gives to us. And so the art of life is now the art of elimination. How do I get rid of the rest of those things? And how do I just focus on him? How do I just say, Jesus, you're everything. You change me. You point me in the right direction. And you just keep calling me to follow you to keep moving in your direction. I can remember when I was a younger, well, not even a younger Christian, I grew up going to church. And I, I, until my early teen years, my mom was really faithful and brought me to a great church, but it was like, I went to church and I heard this like it was just history teachings and lessons. These are all good things to believe. I, I, I never come in contact with Jesus. Maybe it was my fault. Maybe I was there goofing around and making noises and, and, and screwing around, but I don't know what it was. But there came a certain point where life got tough and where things felt unfair, and I started walking away from, from church and from God, and I didn't want to have anything to do with it. Went through my teenage years, and I kind of just went after whatever made me happy. I was like, ah, I want to go party with my friends. I gave up sports. I gave up all the good things in my life, and I thought, I'm going to go after all the, all the things that make me happy in the world. And I was a young teenager, and so it was like, you know, it was, like, it was pretty bad for a while. And there came this point in my, my story and my testimony where I, I met someone special that I really liked. It's a really pretty girl. Happened to become my wife one day. But it was like, I was like, cool, I really like this girl. really want things to work out. But if you know things about relationships, they don't go too well when you're in crazy environments. You know, you're doing crazy, dumb things, and that was kind of my life. And so we got together one time after a while being together, and we're like, hey, look, we're not going to make it. Like, we're not really happy with the way things are going, so maybe things will get better if we start cutting out bad stuff from our lives. And so our next endeavor was we cut out all those dumb friends we had, many of whom went on to die after, you know, years of partying and doing dumb stuff. We cut out, we cut out these friends, and we thought, okay, we're better if we cut out some of this bad influence in our life. Well, we still found ourselves kind of feeling lost. We thought, okay, you know what? Let's cut out all the partying kind of stuff, all the drinking and smoking, and we'll just like clean up our lives. And so we cut that out. But then we got together at the end of that, and we're like, gosh, after a few months go by, we're like, it still, still just feels like there's something more. Well, and for me, I, I personally was like, okay, I'm going to go back to school. 
I'm going to find new direction in my life. I'm now in my early 20s. Like, maybe things will be better if I start going to school and make, you know, make myself something presentable in life and get a career and, and um, get a good job. And so I started doing that. But at the end of the day, we got together at the end of that, and we were like, there's still, like, something more. We kept having these talks where we were like, gosh, this is just not it. And eventually, we kind of, like, had this aha moment where we're like, hey, we both grew up going to church. Let's go to church. Okay, let's go to church. And we went to church, and at first I was like, ah, oh, it's more of the same. Old Bible history lessons, you know, God who I, I don't understand, and I like really wasn't trying to understand it. But there came this one night where a friend of mine invited me to go to this Monday night outreach Bible study thing, and I remember going, and the pastor began to teach about Jesus in a way that I'd never heard him taught about again in my life. And I had been through Bible story after Bible story, but I heard him begin to tell me about Jesus and how different Jesus was and how we weren't called to religion. We weren't called to the set of rules and commandments and keep this and do that, but we were called to a person. And I was like, I can kind of do that. That's a lot different from everything I thought I had to do or be in my life. It's like, just follow this guy. Live and, and trust in this guy. And, and so I left that night kind of going, oh man, I went home, I read through the Gospels, and I was so excited for the next Monday. I was like, I hope this guy talks more about Jesus. I remember sitting in the back of the sanctuary, and he began to share another Gospel story. I remember hearing him and going, ah, I finally get it. I finally get it about my direction and what I should be doing in life, where I should be going. It wasn't this calling to go into ministry or anything like that. It was just like, I finally understand that I've tried so many different things, I've tried to cut out all the drugs and bad stuff. I tried to cut out all the bad friends and influences. I tried to go and go to school and make a better path that way. I tried to have a good, nice relationship with my girlfriend. I tried all these things, and I tried cleaning it up and finding the path myself. But finally, as he's explaining Jesus, I realize, I'm like, it's not about what I can do. It's about who he is. And if I just keep following him, I've got direction. I've got purpose. I've got the way things should be. And eventually, he had me, by the time he shared the gospel and, and, and talked about life, I realized, I've got life. I've got what I always wanted in every crazy experience and wild thing I was doing. I've got that in this person, Jesus. I remember in the back, it wasn't this big scene, it wasn't crazy, I didn't run forward to the altar or anything like that, but I just, in my head, I was like, you know what? That's my life, too. That's my direction. That's the truth I'm putting my trust in. And I've never regretted it. And so many of you have found that same truth and way and life to be everything for you as well. As we wrap this up this morning, and you look at the final end of this verse, there is no greater way. There is no better way to being at home, at peace, living with God, to making your way home right now and one day when it happens physically, when you give up this body and you are resurrected in your new body and you are at home with the Lord, there is no better way than Jesus. There's no one else who offers that to us. As we close here, I don't know where you're at on your journey. I know we're all somewhere. You might be already on that way, truth in life. You might be following that path and you might just be standing at the, the beginning of it going, what do I do? I've tried a lot. I've looked for a lot of different things to, to bring me home, to make me feel like this is it. This is what I was made for. Well, I would encourage you, until you come to Jesus, 
you're never going to find your way to the Father. You might find certain things that are true in life. You might be a good person, but listen, you will never overcome death and have that everlasting life that only Jesus promises us. So for all of us, whether you're just starting that journey, whether you're 30 years down the line, let's keep our focus on Jesus. Let's learn to eliminate all those things that might get in the way of that. Let's learn to simplify and remember that Jesus is everything. He's our lens for life. How we look at the scriptures, how we look at theology and what God is like. He's our lens for life, how we treat others, what we do with our time and how we treat and and care for others. And he is our life, everything. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so very much. You wouldn't just tell us about a way. You wouldn't just tell us things that are true about God, but you would come down into our midst and you would demonstrate that. You would become for us the way, the truth, and the life. The only way that we could make it back home to the Father. So we thank you so very much that you would love us so much that you would give your life for us on the cross. You would conquer death on our behalf. If there's anyone in here who hasn't begun that journey with you, they might have been wondering all their lives what they're here for, what way and what path and what direction they should take in life. I just pray that right now as we're, as we're praying together that they would, in the quietness of their own heart, say, Jesus, yes. If what you offer is true, I want to make you my God. You have given your life for me. You have paid for my sins. And I put my faith and trust in you. I pray for each and every one of us that your spirit would continue to work in our lives and direct us and guide us in your ways. Remind us of all that you are and continue to be in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.